Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I do want to encourage everybody that might be on that fence as far as, oh, is this something I want to do or not do? Um, Everything we did today, you could do in your backyard. I think a lot of guys learned and a lot of light bulbs went off like, oh, okay, I don't need 100 acres and a preserve and this and that and the whole nine yards and do this right in my backyard, you know, or on a tailgate. You know, don't be afraid to do that. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at Dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. With me as usual is Joe. Joe, what's going on? Going pretty good, man. Good, nice, relaxing weekend. But, you know. <laughs> well, every weekend is relaxing for you. You don't get out and do anything. Where's the dogs? When was the last time you shot something over Jack? Are oh, you going man. to training day uh, this weekend? I shot a, I shot pigeon. Uh, over him yesterday in my backyard. <laughs> but but it, all right. So now I got to hear the story because it's not. No, like I'm, just, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> now we did shoot a chucker one time back there though. <laughs> in the middle of downtown Nashville. Yeah. Had, Are you going to train today yeah. this weekend? Oh, I don't know. You don't know, man. You got Jack is going to just 
pack his bags. You're going to wake up and he's just leaving one day. <laughs> you got to get out, we, man. Yeah, I need to talk. I need to take him hog hunting. That that uh, episode last week fired me up. Yeah, get him out. Do something, man. Yep. You're a testament of what not to do right now. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there we go. Exactly. Don't be like Joe. But tip of the week, don't be like Joe. <laughs> so you want to tell everybody what we're talking about this week? Well, we've got another roundtable episode for you guys. I know um, it's always fun when we grab a bunch of uh, different people, a bunch of different insights, um, and we put them all in one room and and uh, they talk dogs. And so that's kind of what we did uh, this uh what was it? Two weeks weekends ago, you went over to North Carolina. Uh, two, it's been a few weeks, two three weeks, but yeah, it's it, it was a lot of fun. You know, we went through to a, a BHA little training camp event thing that uh, you know, it didn't really have a whole lot of time to push and sell out. So it's like we had a, a nice number of people there, a little small group. So uh, you know, you 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 got a you got a lot of attention based on like what a few people really wanted, and mm-hmm. uh, so but. The people there, you had Stephen Faust of Stony Brook, uh, Gordon Setters. I can't talk today, apparently. And then <laughs> Scott Caldwell, of course. And then uh, Jason Bowman of Ogre, Ogre Outdoors. And um, that dude can just make anything. I was sitting there looking at some of the projects he had in his shop. He he outfits vehicles like custom work, what, whatever you need, bumpers or special slide outs, like pretty much anything, like you give it to him, it's just, he'll make it. And then uh, awesome. in his shop, he had some cool stuff. Like, you know, he had this really cool, like uh grouse themed foot locker type thing mm-hmm. that uh, I was really eyeing and I knew Pam didn't want me coming home with. Uh, <laughs> and then some like, like uh, a welded dog box with actual like thermometer readouts and stuff inside of it. So like he really, he can make a lot of cool stuff more so than just a basic, you know, drawer system or organizer like if you're in the market for some cool custom custom work go uh go check him out for sure awesome so but yeah i mean it's just different perspectives you know you got the quote-unquote meat hunter and steven the trainer and scott uh the the gear junkie and jason and uh me just kind of uh <laughs> just a, a, an amateur in all levels right yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah you know we, we kind of we don't touch on one specific topic but we kind of we run the gambit on this one it's every single thing you can think of as far as dogs and hunting we kind of we kind of touch on it a little bit so it's it was kind of a fun conversation and hope people like it yeah and i would be uh, remiss if i didn't mention um this episode was really brought to you by the Patreon patrons, Patreon patrons, because of you guys giving uh, to the podcast every month. We're able to, um, I mean, you didn't, you you paid for your own gas to get to North Carolina, but the audio equipment and everything like that, um, like we told you guys a couple of weeks ago, we got some new mics and a new recorder to make uh, these remote recordings happen. So um, if you are a Patreon patron, pat yourself on the back for this episode. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Definitely made my life easier traveling than with your uh, crazy uh, sound room, sound board, all that stuff that you used to send me everywhere with. This was just very compact, easy to set up, easy to break down, and, uh, you know, made it in one bag as opposed to, you know, two or three. <laughs> yeah, I know I know how Scott is with mics, too. So giving him a headset with a mic that's that, that can't move right, right in front of his mouth is is definitely better. 
<laughs> yeah. Saves, but, uh, saves me time editing. Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, de- definitely to your point. Thanks everybody for signing up for uh Patreon and, you know, just know that if you're giving it, whether it's a dollar, $10, and there's actually a few $20 uh, donations in there that, you know, we, we're not taking the money. We're not doing anything with it other than throwing it back at the podcast and hopefully coming out with some better stuff in the future and uh, maybe some, uh, some gear later on and, and some swag. But uh, for right now, we're just trying to make the podcast as best as possible, because if I don't have anything good to talk about, at least we can sound good, right? There there we go. Well, (laughs) talking about sounding good, I got a heck of a review this week. Uh Uh-oh. I feel like our listeners are kind of cracking the code on uh, how I'm going to pick out a review. (laughs) What's the names? Well, I mean, one, this guy uh, talked about how good the podcast sounded. All right. That's number one. (laughs) <laughs> and two, he had a great name. <laughs> What's that? Uh, so this is a review titled Quality Pod um, from Lazy Beer Cracking Trainer. <laughs> All right. Lazy Beer I, Cracking Trainer. I, and what he did too is he um, he put spaces in between the words, which, you know, uh, I can't read well. So, um, uh, so yeah, Lazy Beer Cracking Trainer. So, He's, so points for grammar? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> okay. He goes, you can tell they care about putting out quality content with quality sound production. Oh, We do. They truly care about discussing a wide array of dog training topics without being critical. Give them a shot. You won't be disappointed. There we go. I appreciate it. And Lazy beer cracking trainer. Now, do you think he's drinking beer while training? That's where the laziness comes in? Or does he forget to train because he's drinking beer? I kind of view him as like maybe he's um. You know, he's got a training table kind of next to his, uh, his porch <laughs> and he's sitting in a chair with a bush. What if and the he, training table is the cooler? Oh, the, yeah, that, that'd be cool. Man, maybe, maybe he's, uh, maybe he, he's got some ingenuity there too. You, all right. Your, your first instinct, what state's he from? Hmm. I, oh, I know I want to say Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> You might be offended that I said Alabama might be right on the money. I don't know. Well, appreciate it. That means a lot. We do, we do, uh, like we already talked about, we do try and focus in on sound quality as best we can and, uh, you know, hopefully come out with some good quality content worth your time. But we definitely do appreciate it and, uh, glad you got something out of it. And let us, let us know if this is your review and we'll be sure to shoot you a sticker. There we go. Nick, you got a, a tip of the week? Uh, Sure. I'll come up with one. Uh, again, guys, I want your feedback. I want your tips. I keep saying that. And I was getting a bunch of training or tips of the week from my listeners, like at the start of this, but now it's just kind of me coming up with a bunch of stuff. And, uh, one thing I noticed talking to another buddy while he was training, uh, the importance and it's again, it's not so much a tip as it is just a good reminder is, uh, the training mindset, uh, leave your dis- distractions away. If you need to put your phone inside the house, if you need to take your little Apple watch, go put it in the house, whatever. When you're training, then you're training your dog. Focus in on the task. What's your goal of the mission? Get in, get out with the right message for your dog. You know, don't go in there with music playing. Don't go in there with the TV blaring. If you're inside the house, focus on the task and uh, yeah, wrap it up. And then that way, 
there's there's no confusion with what your dog's trying to learn and what you're trying to teach your dog um, because the last thing we want is your dog getting worse because you're sending the wrong message because you're not paying attention to the corrections right so again not really a great tip but just a good reminder and i need that as well for, for me uh sometimes you know we're we're purposely trying to put distractions in there for the dog but you as the trainer you need to be distraction free if that makes sense awesome well i know um we're we're talking about what's what some ways um, people can, uh, share their tips with us as opposed to just writing an email. Maybe it's a voicemail system or maybe it's, um, them recording something and s- sending something over to us. So that being the works so w- probably. Yeah. So we've talked about that before guys, give us your, your input, shoot us uh, an email at gundog at yourself at gmail.com. Shoot us a Facebook or Gmail mess or, uh, Instagram message. Uh, let us know. We've, we've been floating around a few ideas. We were thinking that it might be cool to set up a voicemail to where you guys call in with your tip of the week and you, that then you really get to kind of explain your training tip. Right. And it's not so much, you have to write it out and, uh, maybe I'll lose something in the context of an email or something, but you actually get to walk everybody through it and then we can kind of patch it in and, uh, give Joe a little bit more work every week. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> you don't mind, do you, Joe? No, no. I mean, I, I told you after last, last week's episode, that one kicked my butt. So yeah. hope, hope th- th- this one will be easier and the ones coming up will be easier. But um, yeah. yeah. You got anything else? No, that that's it, guys. Just let us know. You know, we're trying to come up with good ideas. If you have good ideas for the podcast, it can be uh, topic related. Uh, guests to go along with those topics, you know, stuff for, for the tip of the week. You know, I had a listener, uh, he hit me up earlier today getting on to me about uh, it's been a while since I've done a profile episode. And I told him, well, I need people to come on the profile episode. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's one of those things. We're open to any and all suggestions. We really are. Uh, I try and get back to everybody that sends us a message as quickly as possible. But if you have good ideas to make this, you know, this podcast is for you. This is the people's podcast. Oh, <laughs> the, people's. The, the people's podcast, but the people's uh, podcast about dogs. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. Uh, you know, if you got an idea, hit us up. Other than that, you know, I'll, I'll let everybody kind of get to the, uh, the round table topic that really just kind of turned into a bunch of guys griping about a lot of things. You know, there we go. Yeah. what else is there in the outdoor world, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We'll enjoy it. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog. And they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this, you just finished a long day's hunt. 
or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us. Dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. Alright everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. We have another roundtable episode. I have uh, Scott Caldwell, he follows me everywhere I go, but we also have... Oh, I'd question you follow me everywhere I go. <laughs> we also have this week uh, Stephen Faust and uh, Jason Bowman of Ogre Outdoors. So, uh, you know, everybody already knows Scott, we'll get to him here in a second, but Stephen, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Stephen Faust, I have uh, Stony Brook Gordon Setters, I'm a... Uh, Outfitter and guide. I guide Minnesota and North Carolina for rough grouse and woodcock. Gotcha. Jason? My name is Jason Bowman. Uh, I own Ogre. It's just here in Pisgah Forest, North Carolina. And we build custom overland and hunting and fishing trucks and accessories. So anything, pretty much anything that anybody wants, you can build it. Um, not so much anymore. <laughs> uh, but we, we've decided to focus more on the overland outdoor recreation things on just a few trucks, Toyotas, Fords. We don't get into the exotics anymore, the customization okay. things. So, I mean, what's the bulk of your business? Like, what are you outfitting on these trucks? So, we got a couple of products out, like a aluminum flatbed, um, a, a design we invented called a Molly bed. We've done aluminum dog boxes and still do them. Um, but we still make bumpers and things like that, suspension kits. He's a guy I'm going to have build our uh, our Ford mega van <laughs> your, to, dr- yeah. your dream hunting yeah, mobile our, our rv dream <laughs> all right so we're out here we're at we're at jason's place he hosted us as today for a uh, bha dog training 101 event yep. uh you know we just had a few people come out that were you know just interested in learning how to do dogs and you kind of had a, a a plethora of different perspectives in the dog world from you know scott everybody knows yep. what you do with the training system and the german system and your whole program and steven you really focus in on wild bird dogs you know i guess some people could call them meat dogs for lack of a better term but sure. uh but you also give that guiding perspective and that and that real hunting knowledge and then obviously jason you do the do the gear makeup and everything get everybody outfitted so it's kind of a good one-stop shop for anybody that's brand new to this to kind of gain a, a lot of different perspectives so you know how did y'all think today went really I thought it went very well. I mean, I, you know, it's just fun to hear other people's perspective in, in the, the training world. And even it will be, we have talked about all day, the fact that we're all getting to the same point. We're just using maybe a little bit different route and slightly different techniques, but there's really nothing I couldn't, would not agree with or, or wouldn't see myself doing. So we're not doing trainer fights tonight? No, not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's, 
So you say that trainer fights, y'all, y'all both have different perspectives and, and really goals in a lot of ways. But like you just said, and we just covered this a few weeks ago at another round table episode that we just yep. did to where it's like everybody's end goal is the same. And, you know, the methods might be a little different, the how to's, but the goals are, are still the same. So, you know, I guess really it boils down to once again, the goals of the individual person getting into it with their dog. And are they really going to go the testing route at all? Or do they really want to focus on wild bird hunting and right. where to kind of draw that line? Without a doubt. I think so. Yeah. It, it, it's really huge the event that we had this weekend with the fact that uh, tying it to the BHA thing. And one of the reasons I think we pulled all this together with Luke and the guys, and we've got Howard sitting over on the couch from the (laughs) Tennessee BHA guys, is that I think everybody's starting to recognize, especially within the BHA world, that these dogs tie us to the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of why Jason's even here. You know, the the dogs and stuff like that is is helping get more people involved Mm -hmm. and the accessibility to the outdoors and and what that means as an overall and how to make it more pleasurable. Like I had mentioned to a couple of the guys today is it's great that everybody's got those dreams and aspirations of, man, I've got a bird dog. Let me go hunt you know, grouse and, and pig saw and, and find, find all these wild birds and stuff like that. But if you don't have the base knowledge to get there, then generally what happens is that person now owns a house dog yep. and doesn't get out there and stuff. So hopefully today with what we talked about with, you know, people seeing the perspective from Steve's aspect, who obviously guides a lot more than I do and hunts probably more than all three of us together at the table right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his aspects on a hunting dog versus what we do with the hunting dog. Uh, hopefully we gave everybody a little more um, confidence that they can get their dog where they need to be and then actually go out and do these things and, so, and yeah, enjoy and, them. And I always tell people, you know, with a, without a gun, I'd still run my dogs. I'd yeah. run my dogs. But yep. without my dogs, I wouldn't go hunting because it's, you know, that's why I'm out there. I love the dogs, yeah. and I love the dog work, the teamwork, the whole aspect of, yeah. of, of everything they involve. And so you, you were talking about something earlier today that, you know, I think a lot of us just kind of outsider perspectives, we've all kind of seen the same thing within the past year or two, especially last year with COVID and everything mm-hmm. shut down. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are buying dogs. Sure. You know, we're kind of calling them COVID dogs just because it's people are yep. just hanging out at home mm-hmm. and are like, I need a friend, mm-hmm. let's get a dog. And so now we're, we're kind of seeing an uptick. And people, well, I got this dog. What can I do with it yeah, now? Yeah. And, and so it's it's kind of falling on guys like you, me with the podcast, and then yep. even Jason with the with the outgear. It, like, have you been seeing an uptick with people coming to you and how do I outfit my truck for my dog, these hunting adventures? Have you seen an oh, uptick in that? Big time. Yeah. Um, I've never seen the amount of people getting into the hunting and fishing, any type of outdoor recreation mm-hmm. scene that I've seen the past year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, I mean, what what are they coming to you for right now? Like, are they just coming on and be like, hey, I want to go do this type of hunting, and you're just, let me build this for your truck and get you on the road? Uh, well, I'll give you an example, that that Vanneken in there. Yeah. That guy's going fishing all summer in Montana, so he wanted to lift it up a little to hit some of the backcountry roads, put some bumpers on it to make it, in case he gets stuck, he can went himself out, put a mm-hmm. rack on top of it so he can throw his camping gear on top. There's things like that. They want to travel more. Yeah. Travel with their dogs. So they, like that AC dog box, um, they want something to keep their dogs comfortable in, and even if they travel in the summer with their dogs, but to, to go places. Yeah. And that's, and that's the biggest. They're wanting to travel more with their vehicles. 
And so, I mean, with everybody here, I mean, just sitting right here at this table, you have four different setups on how to travel and hunt with your dogs. I mean, yep. Stephen, you have the the truck with the big aluminum dog boxes on the back, you know, kind of the, the tried and true when people think dog boxes, that's probably <laughs> what they think of, right? The and, ice cream truck. Yeah, the ice cream truck, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Scott, you have, you have your work truck and you got your Dakotas in the back, and then I've got the Navda rig with the drawer system and the, and the topper, and then you, Jason, you make everything. So it's just like, you know, it's it's kind of like – it differs as far as how to travel just as much as how to work your dogs. And so like, let's touch on how do the people really know the goals? They, they get these dogs and it's like, all right, I want to figure out what I want to go hunt, but like, how do I go? How do I get involved? Where do I go learn? You know, we are talking about Steven kind of steering people in the right way when it comes to hunting. How do we get, how do we steer people in the right direction from day one as dog owners? Well, I will say that, that, NABDA has done a fantastic job of getting new people into training days and showing them what it's about. But me as a guide and, you know, the last, especially last year, took out a whole more new people than probably I have in the last five years. Just people without dogs, people wanting to get into the sport, people with their first dog, wanting to figure out the sport, things like that. Um, and, and, and starting from ground one, when you've done it for a long time, you kind of forget the basic stuff. You take it for granted that everybody knows the basics. Yeah. And we were going over shotguns one time with somebody, and I was just talking about high brass and low brass. And a, a woman looked, and she said, what do you mean by low brass? So, you know, sometimes you have to take it all the way back to, to zero mm-hmm. and, and, and doing that. Um, it, it, you don't want to be overwhelming for, for, for somebody's first adventures, young or old, because then they'll, they'll lose interest. You have yeah. to spark the interest and keep them interested because there's no guarantee they're going to kill birds. You have to make them want to go out the second time. Yeah. You know, because I hunt just wild birds. So if you know they're they're tough and and sometimes that's a hard initiation, but yeah. they they love it. So absolutely spark well, that I, interest. I'll tell you just to kind of pat Stephen on the back here. Me and Kylie actually won a hunt and went out with him woodcock hunting this year. And me being who I am, and you know <laughs> the, the dogs that we have, and as much hunting as I did, I, I wasn't sure because I'd never met Stephen before that. And, um, so we, we met up and we went out and, uh, the one thing I can say that Steven did amazing on was it wasn't just, okay, let's go try and find birds. But there is, you know, when we did shoot a bird there, there was a discussion you know, he's like, Hey, this is this type of, you know, this is a female. She's probably came down from here. You know, he talked about the, the whole aspect of the bird itself, you know, it was a very educational hunt on top of just, you know, let's go see if we can find woodcock. And, and, you know, everything from habitat, you know, okay, where are we looking in the hardwoods? Oh, look, here's a young pine tree thicket that just sprouted up in the middle. He goes, yeah, they love the edges of this, and this is why. So, you know, for somebody that's never woodcock hunted before or even maybe grouse hunted or something like that, him helping them understand where to go look, you know, because Uwari Forest is not like – it's not huge in the grand scheme of things. It's not like going out to the Dakotas and looking at thousands of acres of land and trying to figure out where to find birds. But still, I'm sure you can wander around Yoari Forest for a very long time <laughs> and never encounter a woodcock. Yeah. But if you know where those little places are and what to look for and stuff, he was really helpful on doing that. And I can see where that would be really beneficial for a new guy or gal coming into this where it's like, okay, what is woodcock habitat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what is this? Well, and I mean, that that's – I think that's the ticket, you know, just – 
zeroing in on the correct way, not overloading them, drinking from a fire hose. We've talked like about we that. Like we did before. today. Like we did <laughs> yeah. today. You know, we, we you crammed a lot of training stuff and information into into one one day. Mm-hmm. For, yeah. for, mm-hmm. So it's just like, where do you suggest people start when they get their first dog, Stephen? Is it the training aspect? Is it the gear aspect? Is it, you know dream hunts aspect and then backtrack from there like how would you tell people like hey pick your dog and i would honestly i'd I'd, even before that i would say first go out with before you even decide on a breed decide on what kind of breed you know what know what you're gonna hunt i don't you know my dogs if i dropped them off in the great plains you know i think they wouldn't have a clue what to do they've never done it if you're gonna hunt that make sure you, you you your dog is is that type of dog i mean i don't wouldn't take mine pheasant hunting I would just minor specialists and, and I would make sure, you know, find something bred by somebody that hunts what you want to hunt and dogs will learn. I'm not saying dogs aren't adaptable. Where have we heard that? Phrase? <laughs> <laughs> it's never been but, mentioned on this podcast exactly. before, but, but do that and, and do your homework, go out with some people to say, you know, I call people from a club or something to say, I don't want to shoot. I just would like to watch your breed of dog yeah. hunt and, and, and decide on that. And then go from there. You want a pointing dog. You want a flushing dog. You know, how, how far along do you want to go in the training? Is steady to wing a shot or just, you know, just point. I, there's a, a lot of it that, like we were talking about earlier, we know because we've done it right. so long that we don't realize we know. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I would start from that and then, you know, find the breeder that's breeding the breed you want and that's doing a good job with puppies, early stimulation, not just pumping them out of the backyard, you know, things like that. Make sure you're getting something that's going to – it's a 15-year decision. Yeah. You know, you don't want to drop it off at the pound in two years because it didn't fit your lifestyle. Right. And so speaking of that, you know, it's we all have different breeds here. That's what's kind of cool. Four guys, four different breeds here. Jason, you you had Drots before. Now you have a Bracco Italiano. That's right. What what inspired that switch on you? Let me first off start by saying that Drog Harbor is the <laughs> best dog I've ever had in my life. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> Having said that, she bit my nephew. Mm. And after that happened, my wife said, that will never happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she died, I went into a deep state of depression. And she said, look, I can't. You're not going to mope around the house all day. You're getting another dog. But I already picked this dog out for you. It's called Rocco <laughs> And here it is. It's really good with kids. We pick so, it up next week. Yeah. <laughs> so but, what what have you noticed? Because that is a pretty drastic contrast there, a Drot and a Brocco. You know, what have you noticed First and foremost, and as, again, generalizations yep. and dog breeds, it's, it's pretty dangerous territory there. But just just your observations, what's been the main difference? I'll speak on my two dogs yes. rather than the two breeds. So, Quinny was the Drothar was a hunting machine. She was all business. And I was very fortunate that the guy that I got her from apprenticed me. He was a very good dog trainer. So, he taught me how to train the dog. But having said that, I was a new guy. And that dog was basically self-trainable. I, it was so easy to train this dog. I mean, you, I did. I didn't. She don't have these VGPs and ACs because anything I did, she was just a great dog. <laughs> yeah. It was just in her blood. It was just easy to train her. So, but like I said, she was all business. She was not a people person. She was a me person, but not a people person. Yeah. So, fast forward now to Augusta, the Bracco. She just loves every human being that'll touch her. She's so <laughs> sweet and so I just she just wants to be loved. But she's a little soft as a result. And so I've had to learn like today, I mean, 
not that I came in here thinking I'm going to know everything, but I learned so much today because you got to train this dog completely different on how I trained this yeah. draught hard. Because that right. draught hard was a bred to do one thing, and that was to hunt. This dog likes to hunt, but she also loves to be in your <laughs> lap and just love you. So. Yeah. And she's and as a result, I don't want to say she's soft, but she's a little more delicate. Yeah. Know, if that makes sense, <laughs> it, it yeah. does. But she reacted completely different on the forest vegetables than two out of the three other dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, and but that's because you actually worked a little bit with her yeah, prior and, to that. And I will say this: when Quinny died, it made me appreciate her more. To when I got this dog. It made my heart softer. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I was like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna train her as hard. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I train her differently. So I don't know. She's just I mean, I can't she's oh, just a on. different I, dog. I saw man. you pick her up by the scruff of her neck and her butt just last night and move her back to where you had set her down on the place. But it didn't hurt her. Just, <laughs> did you see her? She's like, Oh, why did you do that? Why don't you just love me? <laughs> so so we got the, the the German transition into an Italian dog over here, Gordon Sutter, Stephen. Mm-hmm. What I, I feel like it's a lifelong thing for you. Well, or am I wrong? not lifelong. Um, I started. I grew up. Dad had we had well, we had labs for field trials and duck hunting, beagles for rabbits, and um, pointer English pointers and English setters for bird hunting. And um, Eastern North Carolina, that was woodcock and quail. Um, I enjoyed them. We had more pointers and some bigger running dogs, you know, back then. Um, but I'm old-fashioned, and, and I just read something about a Gordon, and I thought that sounded like the dog for me, and I'd give it a shot, and I just never looked back. Um, it's something about them, their work ethic, their their quality, their sense of smell, their de- you know, their desire to hunt and to finish a task, and, and it's just – I mean, like he said, they're just a workhorse. They're born born for it. So. Yeah, but Stephen, your dogs are all import dogs, though, correct? Or no, come from no. import lines. I, ha- I have a little bit of import in there. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, the rest of them are all American lines. Some probably, you know, within them, um, some fifty fifty, some seventy five twenty five. But yeah, I've I've imported a couple. Yes, sir. Yeah. But uh, what have you it, noticed the bigger difference between the American lines and the imported lines as far as focus on? I'll say traits. Um, the Imported lines are much closer to breed standards or confirmation. Um, are good retrievers, uh, maybe a little bit better than the American as a whole. The American lines have a lot of field trial in them, which, of course, they don't care about retrieve. Um, they don't run as big. They are a much steadier pace all day. And all my dogs are pretty steady pace. None of them take off right yeah. out of the truck. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they have to be. And, and well, by the time you and I hunted this winter, I mean, they'd had a lot of days already. Right. They right. didn't need to just go out and run, but they're, they're built, you know, the, the breed standard says built for all day labor and, and they do, they just go, they can go all day. They go every day. And, and it's just their, their quality of their bone structure and all that. But, but the imports definitely match up to breed standards a little better than the Americans in my opinion. Any difference in drive or cooperation or anything like that? You've seen? No, no, no. It's still the same DNA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you now you're going to go down that road. <laughs> oh. So it's a good thing there's not a DKDD equivalent for the Gordon Setters <laughs> world. It's so so. You know, earlier when I said that you, you pretty much guide, you focus on wild bird yes, hunting, correct, and, correct. And, and Scott said that you know you probably hunt more than all three of us combined a year. You know, talk to us about that. Where do you guide, and what's your typical hunting season look like? Um, I, I guide in 
northern Minnesota at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, and I start, uh, well, opening day of grouse, which is somewhere middle September, and I go through all the way through the first weekend of November there, and I guide every day. Um, I don't get paid to sit around camp, so I guide. Yeah. And Jerry knows that, that I'm going out anyway. Might as well put somebody with me. <laughs> so I guide straight. I did 41 days straight of guiding up there this year, plus a few days in between when, when we didn't have any folks early in the season. Um, come back home to Western Piedmont of North Carolina and, you know, wash clothes for a little bit, do that stuff, and start over again. I guide for grouse in North Carolina and Virginia, which, as we've talked about all day, is getting more and more difficult. Um, and then I, once woodcock season starts in North Carolina, I go just about every day from mid-December to the end of January. Okay. And then a little bit of grouse thrown in in February. So it's so, a lot of miles walked there. So uh, about 2,500 miles walked this season and 112 days of guiding plus mm. scouting and taking so, my son hunting occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody that's never met Stephen before. Okay. Six, five, two, three. Yeah. I, I'll tell you this. After, from, from hunting with him this year in the Uari Forest, <laughs> this guy's a – he could probably pass for a, a derby jockey <laughs> <laughs> on a good day on a good day but i'll tell you what my tall ass it, it so, is everything i can do to keep up with he's him he's going and in dogs. that woodcock so, habitat that, that you and i can't fit in <laughs> no i got a good one so we're going through this one really thick nasty cover and it's not a big place but there are always birds piled in there and we out of at, uh, the whole season we killed one bird out of that thick place i think and that but, side that we went through? yeah that little nasty thing oh, i have my geez. clippers out. i don't know I'm like, why you i'm take... clipping briars and stuff <laughs> as i go through there and Scott's right behind me, and he goes, can you clip a little higher? <laughs> and I looked at him and said, I can't reach that high. <laughs> so you actually carry clippers with you. I do. Yeah. I carry brush clippers with me yeah. in, in some of those places, and sometimes I get tangled up, and it's just easier to clip so, them than untangle. So when I was breaking into this, and, you know, like everybody, I'm like, I don't know what to look for in a habitat. What, what do you look for? I was told and advised by an old-timer, if you can throw your hat in the air and it comes back down to the ground, you're in the wrong cover. It's not thick enough. It's not thick <laughs> enough. So by the Stephen Faust rule, if you need clippers to get through there, then you're in the right you're cover. You're in the right spot. It's a good spot. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't trip, you know, and that's why we walk with our guns unloaded. Because I tell people, if you don't trip once, you're running thick enough stuff. Yep. yep. It's, it's thick. It's just... <laughs> so, it, all right. I, I got other questions on the guiding stuff. But sure. how, how do you swing a gun in that? You really don't swing. It's it's the old method of you track Point the shoot. bird, you track the bird, you throw the gun up, and as soon as it hits your shoulder, you just everything's supposed to line up. You pull the trigger. That's the importance of a good fitting gun, first of all. But there's no swinging. You know, you're going to hit trees. I tell people, especially the beginners, the new time, first timers, um, concentrate on the bird. You have to block out the trees. If you try to, if you try to time your shot between yeah. trees and stuff like that, you're, you're just you're throwing that. off your entire rhythm. Yeah. Just just shoot. You're going to hit trees. It's going to happen. Oh, and, I did. And we and we move I on did. from there. Yep. <laughs> so so generally, I mean, you know, you're you're more experienced hunter than I am. When I get to that thick stuff that you need clippers to go through, I kind of skirt the edges. I hunt the edges and the transitions with my dogs. Grouse yeah. on the edges, woodcock in the middle. Okay. that That's where yeah. I was headed there with you it. Go. There, there you, you go. go. Answer my question <laughs> for me. All right. So uh, back to guiding. You know, that that's a lot of miles and a lot of time and, and a lot of clients. What's your string of dogs look like, and how do you plan that, you know, years in ahead? Because you got to keep those dogs on a rotation. Sure. You know, walk us through. How do you plan that with as many dogs as you have? with keeping your clients happy because you know you can't really go out there i'm assuming with clients every time saying i'm working a brand new dog you know be no. patient 
No, no, not at all. Definitely not. Um, I won't take a young dog out until I know it's biddable. I can stop it on a dime. I, you know, nobody wants to go out with a young dog running up birds or anything. Um, generally, once I'm introducing that young puppy, and like we were talking about today, is generally in the six month age. You know, I'm, I'm introducing it into the into the guide and lineup. Um, I, I'll, you know, we'll hunt the or hunt the good dogs early, give them some good opportunities, and later in the afternoon, I'll say, "Do you mind if I run a puppy here?" Pick a little spot right after lunch, something like, you mind if I run a puppy here? And, and they're always okay with it. Um, but if I'm running it, I'm not worried to. I mean, it might make some mistakes. I'm not saying that. But it's not just going to run all, you know, hell's bells and doing whatever it's wanted, wanting to do. It's, it's pretty biddable at that point. Um, like we were talking about earlier, again, I have two nine-year-old dogs right now. They'll turn nine this summer, so I'm bringing up two again to get ready. Um, I hear you're getting I, a DK. <laughs> I know, that's why I spread bad rumors <laughs> but I'll just I, I, you know I, I'm always looking ahead just like any other profession you have to have a line of succession ready to go to step in and and it's a lot of miles on those dogs they, they live a tough life a happy life but it is hard work and uh, so they'll get the summer off now I just got back from Minnesota banding Woodcock this week for a few weeks doing that so they'll they, you know, they get a good break now they get to rest yeah. I'll put a little bit of weight on them Yep. I feed them up, let them lie around, get fat and happy, and we'll start again. You know, uh, July first, I start start watch, working again. Watch this shameless plug. Yeah. What, what do you feed? I feed Yukonuba. Oh, oh man, that. I feed Yukonuba. <laughs> I got happy, healthy dogs. I feed them Yukonuba. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, you got to feed them a good feed. You know, you put a little investment into this dog to find it, to buy it, to train it. You, you got to put good feed in. Yeah, them. you got to. And and if you want anything good out of them. Yep, I think I think between all three of us, you know, to everybody, you know, we've had a few people ask, is there really that big of a difference switching from you know the other brand to to Yukonuba? And I think all three of us immediately, for the same exact reasons too. Yep. It's not like we all just came up with a different reason. We all came up with the same exact reasons. Well, here's a question for you: mm-hmm. You've seen Falco now for four or five separate times. Yeah. How does he look today compared to when you kind of first started seeing him and stuff like that? The best I've ever seen him. Yeah. You know, he's always been a lanky thing, but, you know, now it's just like, all right, he's he's filling out. He's looking good, nice coat, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where I tell everybody, it's, it, it's plain and simple, I'm keeping the same performance, the same same work yeah. on my dogs and feeding less food. Yeah, without it, a doubt. But it's well, that simple. Like, a, you know, Sasha, she hunted every day I guided, 112 days of hunting. She came into heat in early February and had a big litter. Her coat was fantastic. Her health is fantastic, and to be able to do that after that strenuous of a of a season, yeah, is you know, it, based on good feed, in my opinion. We're yeah. going to get Jason on board here shortly. <laughs> I'm going to give him a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say we did, you know, we did we didn't come on here planning to pitch Yukonuba, but you know, it just had to be. Well, that's part, right? but you know, but feed is a huge it part is. of what we do. I yeah. mean, you can't drive across the country on one tank of gas. Yeah, but you you have to do that and like you know I, I run my dogs and when they're done i feed them right away they have an hour and a half to replace that energy before they start breaking down muscle i put them in their box i feed them they're done for the day and and you know i feed them good food i rely on them i better take good care of them yeah now do you float your food or just straight dry food i straight dry but i give them plenty of water they always have yeah. access to plenty of water yeah. um I think, I mean, that's an important thing because everybody's got an opinion, but as as hard as you run your dogs day in, day out, you know, that's that's a pretty key note to me. Uh, so I got to ask, with with your experience hunting Minnesota as much as you do, and then you come down here and hunt the southeast, primary difference between 
hunting grouse and woodcock up there, hunting grouse and woodcock down here. It's kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people, but you know, it's just like you, you hear, you know, you really have to have a grouse dog down here. And I know that just pissed off a lot of Minnesota people and I have a lot of Minnesota listeners, but well, sure. to, to find the birds down here, you're, you know, we're counting flushes per season, not flushes per Without walk. a doubt. Well, I mean, it's just the quality of habitat across the whole north, not just Minnesota, but the UP, northern, lower Michigan, Wisconsin. It's just the quality of habitat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they got a lot of public land up there that they can still log on. And really for rough grouse and woodcock, it's just clear cutting. We need a patchwork of, of a mosaic of aged, different age group forest. And the best way to do it is, is through clear cutting. And unfortunately, down here in the southeast, it's just such a taboo word to say cut the forest and especially in yeah. down here where we are today and you know the big thing is i love the pisgah and the stickers like that but they're loving it to death because <laughs> they're because they yeah. we can't do any habitat management mm-hmm. and the forest is dying it's just it's such an old forest and such an unhealthy forest and we we're talking about you can go you know fishing on the davison river and you can't even hear songbirds because there are no songbirds. Right. The neotropicals are, are dying off because they need the early successional too, not just game birds. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's just a huge habitat void down here. Yeah. And, and so when it takes, it takes birds, specifically wild birds, to make a good bird dog, right? At sure. the end of the day, we can do all the training we want, but until you get your dogs on wild birds, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a good wild bird mm-hmm. dog. And while some of us me included, can take a week, maybe two weeks a year to go up to a better populated area Mm -hmm. down here in the southeast. You know, what are we looking for? What can we do as dog owners? We're talking about the new person getting involved in it and getting outfitted and and traveling and whatever, but how do we do it more on a regular basis here locally in the southeast if that's where you live? Well, for wild birds, honestly, in North Carolina, probably most popular wild bird now is the, the American woodcock. I, yep. You know, the quail of of all but disappeared, just like the rough grouse. And I know the the woodcock is getting a lot more pressure now. And you know, people need to to realize realize that. And I hope they're they're being managed on a better scale for that yeah. dependence. But really, honestly, it, to hunt grouse in the mountains is very difficult. And you, you're right; uh, you can stumble into them across the north, but you have to have a pretty determined dog down here that will go all day and not find a bird until four o'clock in the afternoon and still have his wherewithal to handle right. that bird correctly. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and it, while and there's nothing to replace contacts with grouse to teach a dog how to handle grouse. It's yeah. just, they have to learn it. They have to learn it by doing it. Yep. Yep. I've been saying that for the past year or two. And like you said, it's, it's I'm noticing every year your your people are figuring out, Woodcock is the way to go for wild birds down here in the south. But like you said, just like the people in the national forest, they're loving it to death. You got to be careful on shooting every woodcock that you come through. You know, it yeah, it, right. it, yeah. it really should. I you know, I, I, we've talked about it on this podcast before. The dog work should be paramount. If Without your dog that, doesn't yeah. stand for that bird, yeah, maybe let it pass. Yeah, you know, save it for your dog to handle it again later. Agreed. I agree. And so, I mean. That, you know, Scott, what's your take on that? You know, we're we're in this to create hunting dogs. As much as we test and talk about right. NABDA and the German system, at the end of the day, we want wild bird dogs. Right. You know, I'm all for that, especially if, um, you know, the caveat, like Steve said, um, a lot of the areas like where I took you this year and stuff like that, south of Raleigh, uh, some of the stuff around Jordan Lake and stuff, and even Uwari now is getting mm. a lot of pressure. I was about to say, pressure. Scott's given some hot spots on this, mm-hmm. this podcast. Well, I'm not telling you anywhere. <laughs> uh, He's uh, not telling you anything. Uh, uh, yeah. But it, uh, at the end of the day, there's it, 
because it is, you know, the Woodcock's the primary wild bird game in, in North Carolina. It yeah. is seeing a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm a big advocate of that. Just like you said, is if my dog doesn't properly handle that bird to a certain point, then, yeah, okay, we, we move on and we go on to the next one and stuff like that. Um, but it also produces a better dog because if you're just yes. stumbling through the woods yep. shooting everything, yeah. your dog's running up or whatever, it's never going to – there's no – there's no incentive re- for him to handle it. Watch correctly. this. There's no reward in the skill. No <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but you're exactly right. So, yeah. so you know, one of the things, and I always stress when I'm taking people is, is that since I don't carry a gun, I concentrate on the dogs. And I think, you know, people's, and, and uh, granted, hunting is about harvesting whatever, a bird, a, a deer, whatever. But, but also, if you're really, if your goal is to have an excellent bird dog, the most important thing you can do is not shoot until he's handling it correctly. Unload the gun, walk through the woods with the gun unloaded, load it when the dog points. If the yeah. dog points a woodcock, you got plenty of time to load the gun, take pictures, talk <laughs> oh, about yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and still miss it. So, yeah, exactly. so, so let me throw the devil's advocate statement your way because you hear it all the time. You know, there's not enough. I don't see enough when I, when my, I see a bird flying, I'm going to take advantage of it. Whether my dog handles it or not, I'm out here oh, to, yeah. to hunt. Woodcock. And it's like, I understand that sentiment, yeah. you know, and if it's safe, legal, and fun, then, you yeah, know, it you, it's yeah, your it prerogative. Go, yeah, sure, go without, a doubt. But, without a doubt. But, you know, this is gun dog it yourself. You know, this isn't, you know, yes, we talk about hunting, but this is more about the dog work and developing good bird yeah. dogs. And at here, the end of the day. Here's where I want to promote some of this. And this was taught to me by an old even a deer hunter, uh, well, there's one, an old bird hunter used to talk about this, uh, all the time. They kind of mentored me in this and you'll hear this a lot. You know, I think, uh, even Tyler talks about this on his podcast is when I was younger, if it flew, it died. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was out there to kill birds. Yeah. yeah you know? Sure. And then as I kind of matured, it was a lot more about the dog work. Yeah. And I think as people mature as, as hunters, it becomes, dog work and habitat and you know conservation you know yeah. because they start realizing oh i can't kill everything that's out there that i see i think if there's anything especially for these the, the new hunters and stuff like that and and individuals that are getting involved in this and they do there's opportunities out there and i understand because trust me i think you know you know as many miles as we've walked i know jason knows <laughs> as many miles as we've walked in these appalachian mountains looking for that coveted grouse unicorn the unicorn um to to finally encounter one and then be like oh i'm gonna hold off yeah just right exactly yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. kind of like oh i might never see one and the, and, and people have to understand this is coming from all, i think all four of us have the understanding that the studies have shown that ultimately yeah. hunting pressure does not have the major impact yeah. on the populations right but you know, it's at the end of the day, still be cognizant of it. If that yeah. is a bird to where by a long shot, if we don't shoot and kill that bird, it can survive and, and breed Maybe again. Maybe one more nest season. Again. Yeah, yeah, you know, it can help. So it's, we understand that hunting at the end of the day has a small impact. But if we're out there for dog work and we spend all year training <laughs> dogs, I don't understand why you go out there to hunt and let all that training you spent all year long developing for a test go by the wayside to go hunt and shoot a bird, right? Right. That's just my take. Jason was talking about it last night, how he used to, when you first got here, you could hunt grouse pretty much anywhere right around in this area. Mm -hmm. 
and then it's gotten here like you said last year it was tough it's my worst year ever here yeah Yeah. but to fall back on what you said about the dog work i had a rough year two years ago there's hardly any grouse here finally found a grouse but my dog's over the hill this with quinny i shot it (laughs) quinny comes running up the hill like what's up like like I cheated on her. For- <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, that's my bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they almost like. Oh, the dog your- will resent you on it a little bit. Yeah, that's your partner, yeah. though. That's why, yeah. you know, yeah. like she's yeah. my hunting partner. She was my hunting partner. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, doing something with. Well, I'm going to use that. <laughs> that's all right. Kylie stepped out. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm. I'm more interested in seeing her work than I am actually shooting that bird and getting it in my bag. Because, look, I'm not starving to death. No. Yeah, I'm going to eat it if I shoot yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, sure. If I don't shoot it, I'm not sure. going to die. But we're not feeding our family on the right. woodcock or a grass. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think even early days, like you were talking about, like your dad and stuff like that, when there was quail, mm. you know, they were still cognizant enough to be like, okay, we know, you know, we have the house coveys of quail or the property coveys, mm-hmm. and we'll work our dogs on them. We're not going to shoot them all. Right. You know, we'll go in another place and hunt quail or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And they were, you know, to be cognizant enough to be like, okay, you know, this year we know that that covey's got 20, 25 birds, but we're not going to shoot it less than 20 birds. Sure. You got you to know? leave, you got to leave seed. There's no doubt yeah. about that. And you know, and, and when I was a kid, the old timers only shot the bobs out of a covey, right? You know, they double. They're that two. good. Yeah, they, they could actually tell the bobs. from. They would the, shoot just the bob. You know, you see an old man shoot a double with an old rusty old, you know, double barrel shotgun, and, and every time it was a bob, and, and not leave the hens. They got to leave the hens. They got a nest. You know, and who can argue? Yeah, well, you're that good. Do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell the difference when they all get up. I'll tell you. Well, I mean, I'm not that good. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about grouse and woodcock primarily, but let's jump on into the quail. If we're going to sit on this high horse, let's talk about you know how we should handle looking and and how we handle the the covey of quail that we eventually find you know it's do if when you do come across a covey of quail do you shoot on the rise or do you let them go flush out and then go do the singles you know how do you handle we would only shoot on the rise and and occasionally we'd find singles maybe but you know when i was a kid there were plenty of them you didn't worry about it yeah but the problem is now you know you see a covey of six birds and that's not going to be enough to make it through the winter no You you got to Eight, you know, eight was a minimum when I was growing up, and you know, and it's, you have to make that split second decision that no, you don't shoot when they flush because it wasn't enough of them. Yeah. And then the second half of the covey flushes, and you realize you could have shot, but it's okay. It's better to err on the on the side of caution. But, but that's you know it's, that goes back to the yeah. dog work thing and everything else. It, it's legal. You can chase the singles down, but you got to realize when you leave. Tomorrow, somebody else is coming. They're going to find that covey of quail. They're going to oh, shoot them on the Especially on public land. On yeah. public, especially public yeah. land. Because that covey of quail, I mean, you're not the only one that knows it's there. Yeah. And before you know it, there's, you know, that covey's gone. Yeah. So, yeah. so. Now, have you had, because you've got a pretty unique truck. You've got the ice cream <laughs> truck, right? And I was going to ask this question when we went hunting together, but have you found, like, because with you hunting on as much public ground, because... I think pretty much all the ground you hunt in North Carolina is public, isn't it? Just about. I got some private that I do hunt on, but yeah, most of it is. I mean, so know, it just you, takes big swaths. Do you find here. like people following you around? And posting pictures of my truck on Facebook and everything else. I found a <laughs> yeah. good spot. Look who's there. Things like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You ever think about changing trucks? Well, I know Ann up in Wisconsin, She would when she was still guiding, she just had a regular nondescript truck, no dog box, no nothing. The dog rode in the cab with her because people did the same thing. They basically stalked her spots and would park beside her and go hunting. So, Jan, is that right. Ann Jandernall? Yeah, yeah, Ann Jandernall. But, yeah. but, you know, it's 
I, I sort of want people to know I'm in there hunting so they don't come hunting. But then again, I don't want people to know I'm in there hunting because right. I don't want them poaching my spots. But it's public land. There's really no law against right. it. And, you know, and it's one of those things that when you go back the next week and you, or, you know, a few days later or whatever, and you see the client from the weekend parked there. <laughs> You know. I didn't do the, that. Excuse me, the former client <laughs> parked there. <laughs> well, and also, you have the ice cream truck. You, well, I know, take you, can't that hide bit, that you can take that big Gordon Setter on the back of your truck, and somebody might confuse it with a bear dog truck. They might, yeah. 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 <laughs> you put, like, hazmat control team stickers on the back of it. There you go. There you go. A bunch of lights flashing, may explode, right. whatever. Right. I don't you know. Yeah. It's a contaminated area. It's kind of hard. I, you know, it, I guess I could have a small dog box or whatever. I get too many dogs to tote around, but... I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's kind of one of those things you take on with, with the, a grain of salt when you do this for a living and hope people will respect, even though it is public land, respect the privacy and find their own spots, but they do what they do. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, I'll tell you, it, it's, um, <laughs> this episode just turned into a big preaching episode. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you got to think about it. I mean, it, it does still tie back to the fact that I, I'm, I've seen more people hunting with dogs and doing the upland thing in the last five years than oh, I yeah. have in the last 15 years. Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, when I first started hunting with dogs, I mean, you'd tell somebody you're going quail hunting or woodcock hunting and be like, what, what's that? Mm-hmm. What's that? And mm-hmm. now when you say something, and it's not just because of the community of people we hang out in, but I mean, it's literally like, yeah, I'm going to go woodcock hunting. Oh, really? Where? Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. or uh, you're going quail hunting? Whereabouts? Yeah. You know, and, and it's because them and their buddies are going out and doing stuff too yeah. now. Yeah. So, you know, it, the, the dogs, you know, to Nick's first point, I mean, the rise of people owning sporting breed dogs in this country is just absolutely climbed. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, I, I wish that somebody would do a study and do a bar graph. But it, isn't it kind of our fault? I mean, like, <laughs> I built a badass truck and I put it on Instagram. Like, look how cool oh, yeah. man with this oh, badass oh, yeah. dog in the back of it or this podcast. Or well, it's not a bad thing. It's yeah, it's fine. not a bad no, thing. No, we, we need more hunters. We need we, more people. We, we absolutely more. do. I yeah. mean, for me being the R3 guy for BHA on Fort Bragg is we need more people to get involved in it. But yeah. we, I we, think we, we need, also need to be stewards of, yes. you know, if we all remember, your dad mentored you up in this. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a mentor help me get mm-hmm. started in the upland stuff. You had a mentor, you know, get started in training your dog and doing this and, and so did you. There's a lot of people that don't have those those yeah. mentors right mm-hmm. now. So they don't know I don't want to say they don't know the rules and regs and stuff like that, but they just don't know, you know, the, the basic I don't say sportsmanship. Yeah. Really, sportsmanship. Is what that's it a good is. word. It's yeah. it's sportsmanship and etiquette, and like you said, just being good stewards of the land. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's one of those things like try and figure out a, a way to give back as much as possible. You know, join the conservation uh, mm-hmm. uh, groups. You know, learn as much as you can. Understand that, like, yes. While a great side benefit of you buying a hunt, hunting license with the Pittman Robertson Act that mm-hmm. does go back to conservation, but that does not make you a conservationist right that makes you a hunter that just some of your proceeds goes to support conservation right. Right. you know get involved and learn how to give back you know i sure. don't say that i'm not saying that you have to go volunteer all your time away and you know try and pick up the chainsaw but at least kind of be aware of what's going on within your own area and state the best that you can we're all busy we all have lives we all have dogs to train we all <laughs> have wives and kids <laughs> but you know there is an element like you said stewardship whether that's mentoring the next person coming up it's getting the dog like you said every year i have another buddy that's coming off that deer stand 
and they want to go walk the woods with the dog. Jacob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, show them the right way. Sure. And, you know, try and influence it. Like I said, we talked about earlier, if it's safe, legal, fun, go for it. Right. But if you're, if you're truly trying to develop that dog, realize what really goes into that. And maybe not shooting that bird that, you know, you kicked up without your dog well, is in, the right choice. In all honesty, and I don't think Steve would have a problem with it, is if, you know, if I had a hunting spot, uh, somewhere around Jordan Lake, and somebody <laughs> said, "Hey, I'm, you know, you mind if I run my dog in there? I'd really like to get him some wild bird exposure. I don't want to shoot anything. I just want to get my dog on some wild bird. I'd be absolutely. Let's let's go do this. Let's go. Let, let's yep. you know. Let me show you where this spot is. That spot is. Yeah. But you know, conversely, like Stephen said, he's like, yeah, I just took a client out on Tuesday, and Friday he's there with three other buddies. Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah. stacked up in the same spot that we were just hunted. You know, two days before." And, and they're in there cleaning out the spot. Yeah. And then the yeah. next year complaining about less birds. Oh, there's no birds in this area yeah. anymore. Yeah. Something must be happening. Yeah. So. yeah. You know, and that is, it's just an etiquette thing. And, you know, and asking permission on private land. Um, and, you know, oh, and that's, like, going, and, that's going away. Oh, yeah, and it will, yeah. yeah. Just about it is. Nobody, but, like, nobody. but like Scott said, asking permission, if, if you know, if, if a buddy took you somewhere, just say, hey, call him. Go, hey, do you mind if I just go run my dog over there? Yeah. I'm not going to shoot. Um, you know, if you see my car there, I just want to let you know, is that okay? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're going to say sure. Matter of fact, can I go with you? I was going to go, maybe go. Let's just right. leave the guns well, at home and run dogs a little bit. And, and I think a key word you just said, permission, it's, like, it's not really so much calling and asking permission because it is public land, sure, right? Sure. You have a right. But it's just like, hey, I appreciate you showing me the spot the other day. I'm yeah. just going to let you know if it's all right with you. Like, if you're not hunting it tomorrow or Friday, you know, I'm going to go with my dog. And, you know, it, it goes back to etiquette again. It's a respect right? thing. It's a respect thing. Yeah. You know, they sure. put in the hard work. They found the spot. Don't just go claim it as your own right yeah. away. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, some of those spots I've, I've found over the last 20 years and worked on those spots. And, you know, and, you know it's kind of like a trade secret, I guess. But it's <laughs> no, really not a I, secret I, in some I don't, spots. I don't think it's that. I, real, <laughs> I really think you can smell them. Because I swear up and down, when we went hunting together, we'd be walking around, and all of a sudden, Steve would stop, kind of look up in the air a little bit, (laughs) call his dogs over to a one little patch of woods, and boom, they're on point. I'm like, how the hell did you know there was a bird there? I don't know. One been there every every for 20 years. Exactly. (laughs) So it's not hard to be a good steward. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, And this isn't hunting; it's fishing. But I. I did some research. I found a cool fishing spot, but it was on private land. So mm-hmm. I, I knocked on the guy's door and asked him. And he's like, I'm going to let you do it. So I went in there. I cleaned up all the trash I found. And I sent him a gift certificate for like a free oil change. There you go. Yeah. He called me up the next day. He's like, dude, you can come fish whenever <laughs> yeah. you want. And yeah. when you get done, yeah. my wife will cook you cook supper, stop yeah. by for yeah. supper. Yeah. That's all it took. Well, yeah. some of that, like we were science. saying, it, it, just like everything else is – it's kind of gone away. Like when I was a kid and probably like when you were young, Steve, and, and so on and so forth, you know, we'd go hunt. We didn't have our own property. We'd go ask local farmers. Yeah. And I'd walk up there as a kid. My dad would knock on the door, you know, hey, do you mind if we deer hunt? You know, this and this and this. If we shot something, we'd bring a back strap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, something along those mm-hmm. lines. And I think with that, the big growth that we've seen in the outdoors and these sporting breeds and the younger generation and stuff, and not having that mentorship and understanding that that's, that's kind of like the way to do it. That's, yeah. that's the, I don't want to say the social, you know, contract that you have to be able to do stuff like that, but that's really what it is. It's like, it's like, Hey, look, you know, do you mind if I go do this? And then the expectation is the silent expectation is that you you're giving back just as much as you're, yeah. you're taking yeah. away from that. Well, resource. you said the thing you just said, there's social, 
I mean, hunting is probably one of the original social gatherings when people would get together to to harvest things, whether you know mm-hmm. you're harvesting mushrooms or game, it, a group of people would do it and they would share in the harvest, share in the bounty, so to speak. Right. And, and you know, and if a farmer is going to let you pheasant hunt on his his forty acre bottom that's in perfect condition, and you shoot your three roosters, I mean, what's what's giving him one to say thank you? He might yeah. not want it. He might have plenty in the freezer already. But the right. offer the offer goes a, a thousand miles. Yeah, exactly. So. And the, the title of this episode is going to be, you know, old-timers complaining about the good old days. <laughs> I'm not that old yet. I know we're not that old already. God dang. So, I know Steve's not more than about two or three years older than I am. I don't have you by much. But I, was about to say, I was about to say, normally we have a little bit, you know, better better path here to, tell, to send people. Now we're just complaining pretty much. I've been much. called lots of stuff, but old-timers, not <laughs> exactly. one of them yet. Uh, well, so let's go around. All right, starting with you, Jason. Like, somebody's getting involved in this. What, what, what do you say? Like best best advice you can give them from a gear perspective, you know, stay within what your expertise and what you like to do. You know, what would you advise somebody from a gear sp- perspective? If I was just starting out, I would not come to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're the saying, worst marketing guy. Man, I've ever this met. is the worst pitch ever. I'm sitting here like, come to me, I'll set you up. <laughs> if you're a young guy getting started, go down to Walmart, get you a dog crate, get you a Look, get a we'll, good dog. We'll correct that. Go to Dakota Go, 283 and get you a dog kennel. But find a mentor. I mean, when I first got started, I was lucky enough that the mentor kind of found me. Um, but go. I always like to tell people, shut up and listen to people. Don't talk about how great you are. And most of the time, you'll learn a lot more. So if you're getting started, find a mentor. Uh Help you know help that person, and and in order to help him be your mentor. And what I say about it like that, like my mentor lives on a farm, and he had I'm a, I got a mechanical background. So if he had a tractor or a truck broke down, hey man, I know you're helping me train my dog. So if you need me to help you fix this, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was you're, more than willing to help me do it. You're earning it, you know. Right, earn you, that you weren't you didn't just feel entitled to it like nobody's over here showing me where to go hunt so I can't go hunt. You went out there and earned it, you right. know. Um yeah. just look, a little bit of communication and working together goes a long way. Yeah. And so but going back to the gear setup, you know, get a my first shotgun was the shotgun my granddad gave me. And by mm-hmm. no means was it a great shotgun, yeah. but at least I had a shotgun. Mm-hmm. So yeah. mm-hmm. Just stuff like that. Don't don't go out and go into debt thousands and thousands of dollars on a badass dog and a badass truck and a badass the, the RGK disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, yeah. But if you're able to do that, then stop by. And I'll be happy to give you that badass. Well, it, go on. Say it. where can people find you? Social media or website? What do you What do you have? Uh, Ogre Outdoors. Ogre underscore underscore outdoors on Instagram and then ogreoutdoors.com. And that's O-G-R-E, just like O-G-R-E, Shrek the Ogre. O-G-R-E stands for Outdoor Gear and Recreation Equipment. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. There you go. Stephen, what's your best advice? Anything. Well, I was going to say about the dogs again. You know, you're like I said earlier, you're looking at about a 15-year commitment. Don't rush into it. It's, you know, you're going to have a partner there by your side. Make sure you have the time to give to it. Do your homework. Make sure that dog is also going to fit into your home life. You know, we talked about it earlier. Hunting season is pretty short. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't last all year long. So you can have a pet for a long time, too. Make sure it's something that's going to fit into your lifestyle and, and, and your hunting style, the dog you want. 
Yeah. So yeah. tried and true. Yep. Scott, <laughs> hit, oh, hit him with yeah. it. Get on your soapbox. No, I mean, I think the biggest thing, and we we've proofed it a couple of different events now, and that is, um, you know. I know we are all kind of like a little bit of bashing on everything in today's society and hunting <laughs> and stuff like that. But I do want to encourage everybody that might be on that fence as far as, oh, is this something I want to do or not do? Um, everything we did today, you could do in your backyard. Oh, yeah. Or your garage. Yeah. Short and grass it, into the tall grass later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and literally, I think a lot of guys learned and a lot of light bulbs went off like, oh, okay, I don't need – a hundred acres and a preserve and this and that and the whole nine yards. I don't need to go do all this craziness stuff with my dog. I can do this right in my backyard, you know, or on a tailgate or on this or that. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to do that. You yeah. know, don't be afraid to dive into this. And then, you know, like Jason said, find you a good mentor find to help mentor. you you know, find yeah. a good mentor that's going to support you and your training and your goals and stuff like that. And, and now, because today is in a Scott stealing of quotes day, you know, is, <laughs> I'll kind of quote off of uh, a Grayson again, and that is, you know, once you get to that point, you know, give back. Once you get yep. to that point where you can kind of, you know, wean off of the mentor, then find somebody else to mentor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and and help them kind of get them going along along the right path and stuff like that. And that, that's only going to help everything that we've been talking about here for about the last hour. Honestly, yeah, yeah. absolutely, definitely. Well. I think that. What about you, Nick? Me? Yeah. What is your (laughs) guidance for somebody getting started in this? Go do it. I mean, seriously, just if you're wanting to do it, go do it. I mean, I I remember my first grouse hunt would make y'all laugh at what it was. You know, I wasn't, I didn't wait for somebody to message me on Facebook and tell me where to go. I just, I picked out public land. I had a dog. I went out there with just an old Remington 870 and just old cowboy boots that by the time I got back to my (laughs) truck after 12 miles of walking through the absolute wrong cover in the most old, ugly woods that you could imagine right now, I didn't see a thing all day, but it's just like that lit a fire in me. I'm I'm figuring this out. And then every single year, every single trip, every single outing, you're going to piece it together. You're going to figure it out. And so it's like, you know, to to keep with the the, the old, you know, back in my day, so, you know, People didn't have Facebook to figure it out and ask, like, right. hey, I'm going on a trip. You know, where do watch, I go? And it's watch, just like. Watch this one. They didn't have an Onyx Maps. Right. Or something That's right. Like that, yeah. You know, I mean, you can find stuff. Hunt scout. My, my, my yep. first grouse hunt, I mean, like I said, it was a joke. Like, I wasn't killing it. I wasn't going to kill a squirrel the way I was hunting that, that day. But <laughs> it's it, it's just, if you want to do it, go out there and do it. Don't let not having an exact spot or map location or pin on the map keep you from doing it because you're not going to learn by sitting on your couch. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the worst thing that you're doing is taking a hike through the woods with your dogs. Nice hold help. on, hold nice on. Help. I want one more perspective. Mrs. GDI wife herself. <laughs> Kylie, how do we get the women more involved in this? So uh, my words of wisdom would be um, kind of to piggyback off of Nick just to get involved. But I think for women, it's a little bit maybe more challenging because maybe you don't know how to shoot or you don't have a dog or you don't have anybody to go with. Um, so I think for that, finding someone that you can hunt with that maybe has a dog or doesn't and bring them out and just show them um, kind of what to do and then give back as well. So, you know, you take someone out and then um, they get hooked, quote on, with the dog and then 
um, they'll hopefully mentor someone else in the future. Um, Steve, how many women did you guide this year? Did you see a, a big intake? Yeah, probably 15, 15 to 20. 15 to 20. And we had, and just even up at a camp in the spring in, in Banding Woodcock, we had probably another another half dozen there. So, and that's, you know, women are a very important part of this with, with single mom households to get their children involved. Women are very important and the fastest growing segment of the shooting scores, I believe. Um, and there are a lot of guns now made for women, but women also go out with a completely different mindset. They go out to just enjoy the day They you know, they cannot shoot all day. Even in Minnesota, we're putting up tons of birds and they, you know, Oh, I didn't get a good look at that one. Okay. They don't care. You yeah. Know, when I went but out, that- I was like, I had one, <laughs> one good shot you guys said and a clearing and i missed totally but um but you know guys go out with the mindset that they gotta gotta you know try to get some birds women go out with the mindset just enjoy the day so their day you know pretty well set and i enjoy guiding women because of that because there's no real competition they you know they love to see this and if they're very new at it pointing out you know a deer rub or a deer scrape Mm -hmm. or or all the other things you see in the woods they love seeing all that a lot of them it's the very first time you know, they've never been out. They've never just wandered through the forest before. You know, those of us that do it every day kind of take it for granted, and, and, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, just last week when we were up there, we were working a spot, and, and, and we were like, oh, look at that, a morel mushroom. Well, the dogs are over there pointing, and we spent about five minutes picking up morels. <laughs> we got a little sidetracked. But <laughs> that's probably a more uh, important spot. Yeah, that was a pretty important spot there. there. <laughs> yeah, we need to know they where go, that's they at. They guard those spots pretty well, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, does that pretty much wrap it up? Is there anything other else that we need to, you know, preach about, complain about, promote? <laughs> I, I really appreciate I y'all so. uh, coming. Oh, we appreciate your hosting us up and, here. Uh, yeah. Coming here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make the next one bigger. All right. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Not that we had, as the other, ooh, Howard's sitting on the couch, and who's over there in the chair? <laughs> Andrew in the corner. <laughs> Andrew in the corner. Um, so maybe, yeah, we all, we, maybe we, we have a little bit more time to promote it and get people signed up, but yeah. it, I think it was it was still a lot of fun, a little small group action, right. but yeah, it's... I, uh, I learned a wealth of stuff today. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm a pro, but uh, I've done this before, so I still learned a ton of stuff. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. It makes me feel a little bit better that I did something today, right? <laughs> so. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Jason, thanks again for having us out here, and uh, we'll check back next week. All right, guys. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance 
They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.